Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so delighted today to be joined by the wonderful writer and director, Jared Frieder, to talk all about his movie, Three Months. And I was interested in, in the way that you started visually shaping this film during the script writing process and what some of the earliest visual aspects that we've ended up seeing on screen were that you started really working into the script or some of the details that were really important to you from the beginning to be able to capture once you made it. For me, something that visually was always, that always felt paramount to this particular story was the color palette. Um, because, I, I, you know, I'm born and raised in South Florida. The movie takes place in South Florida. Being authentic to that experience was really important to me. And there is such like a distinct visual um, flavor to um, South Florida, you know, art deco, pastels, that visual element. Um, not only helped represent where the story took place, but also um, Caleb, the protagonist's spirit. It felt colorful um, and unique, uh, and it sort of reflects the kind of story that this is. So I think from a visual standpoint, that is something that was always in the script. That was, that was really um, something we focused on, both in pre-production process, working with um, my DP and um, my production designer, uh, designing that mini mart in the nice blues. Um, it was something that was always top of mind and actually really fun. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me in watching this movie is that there's certain moments and certain beats narratively that we've seen with characters going through a moment of, you know, potentially having HIV, going through testing, waiting to see results. You know, there's always that moment where all of a sudden the doctor's office gets exponentially smaller when they're in there because the camera kind of zooms in and does that trick, you know, or even the moment where you have Caleb's just gotten punched and there's blood on his face, but no one even says anything about it. That's not a moment and that's not a scene. And was it really important to you narratively in the way that you told this story to take a lot of those instances that we've seen portrayed in films that we've seen in television shows over not just even the last few years, but decades and to really just subvert them and have that grounded day-to-day -day reality of, of what life is now to reflect that. That, yeah, I mean, it's so great that you bring that up because that was one of the reasons um, that I wanted to tell the story. You know, I grew up loving um, uh, queer stories, a lot of them that dealt with HIV, um, Angels in America, Rent. Um, these are some of like the greatest queer stories. And what I wanted to do was sort of, like you said, subvert that and show what it's like to live with HIV now, which is uh, thankfully it's no longer a death sentence with access to modern healthcare. Um, and being able to take, you know, the image of blood, for example, like you bring up and, and have it sort of take on a new meaning where yes, of course there are challenges. Yes, what he's going through is, is scary and anxiety provoking, but like he's going to be okay. And trying to use all of those moments um, that might be familiar in these types of stories and turn them on their head um, was definitely my intention uh, with this film. I mean, it, it was a privilege to do so. And within that scope of how you've told the story, you know, you allow Caleb, who's the central character in the story, to have those moments where everything feels overwhelming, you know, the uncertainty kind of weighs on him, it affects his relationships, but also you allow him to have moments where he's just living as a normal teenage kid, trying to figure out other things about his life, and he's completely distracted from that and not thinking about that. And so when you were structuring out the story, how did you determine what are going to be the beats and the moments where that is something that's at the front of his mind, and what are the moments where it's also important to show just kind of day-to-day -day living and other things that he's focused on as well? You know, it's always an ever-evolving process. You know, finding that balance is something that I did 
you know, in the rewriting process when we were on set, it was something that I still did in editing. It's part of the fun and the puzzle piece of a story like this, but it's also through living <laughs> like this experience of, of the COVID-19 pandemic where, you know, this is a story fundamentally about waiting um, and like how life sort of happens while you wait and how you still have to fight for the things that you want, even while you're waiting. And we went into production on March 3rd, 2020, shot two weeks and were shut down for seven months when the world, you know, crumbled down. Um, and suddenly it was a film about a virus and having to wait because of, because of a virus was shut down by a different virus, COVID-19, and we had to wait in that uncertainty. So I went through another experience like this in the middle of making this film. And what I realized is like half the time I was getting stoned, binge watching television in bed and eating junk food. But I had written Caleb as such an active character because I like to write, it's much easier to write active characters even if they're in a period of waiting that I didn't actually give him enough space to breathe. And like there was, a, there was an authentic, um, uh, expression of waiting that I was going through that wasn't in the film. And so in that interim, I wrote the scene where he's literally binge watching the real world in bed and eating donuts and getting high and just like being a kid, albeit in this strange and unique circumstance, but where he's just sort of like, you, you, you're able to feel his experience waiting and just feeling like a teenager who's stuck between here and there. And finding those moments was also like very fun. Yeah. You know, and you were bringing up having MTV's The Real World as, as an inflection throughout the film. And I thought that was such a great trajectory going back to what we were talking about before, about what pre representation was at the time, but also the importance of, of seeing stories reflected on screen. And so how did you find the moments where you felt like that that would really enhance the story and really tell us something about Caleb, particularly, like you said, that moment where he's just sitting in bed watching it and, and it kind of tells us a little bit about his internalization at that moment. It, it was, it was, it was so, it was such a cosmic coming together of things because again, like it was always my vision to honor like queer elders, queer, queer people who fought for my rights. So my life could be easier and pay tribute to them and remember them. And um, I always wanted to do that in some way. And um, it just hit me when like, I was like, we're on a tight budget. What can he be binge watching for free? And I was like, oh my God, MTV. We're made by MTV, the real world, San Francisco. And um, finding those moments, the first one when he's lying in bed and he's just found out he has to wait and he's it's Pedro's roommate saying, oh no, like I hope, like I, I, I like him so much, I want him to be okay, which is sort of what the audience is thinking about Caleb. And in the middle when he's sort of going through growing pains with his best friend and they get into a fight and he's so desperate to find someone to love him romantically because he thinks that will mean that he's worthy of love, which is a very teenage um, sort of state of mind and it's Pedro and his boyfriend Sean like being there for each other intimately and then at the very end I don't want to do a spoiler but when he makes up with the person that he makes up with in the film it's in reaction to the first same-sex commitment ceremony that was ever on television between Pedro and Sean on the real world in the 90s so um, each moment was very importantly picked um to both honor Pedro and to help sort of Caleb, to track Caleb emotionally on his journey. Yeah, and you know, you were bringing up one of the aspects of, of Caleb as a character and in, in just that, that real desire to feel wanted somewhere and to feel mm -hmm. loved. And I thought it was, it was a great choice that it isn't just something where we hear a teenager be like, my mom didn't really want me and this was our relationship dynamic, but you also showed us, you know, you made us see 
everything that he was saying was absolutely the truth and it wasn't exaggerated in any form as well. And yet you also made it real by having the moment where after his mom closes the door, we kind of see some of the turmoil inside of her and the conflict that she has within this very complicated relationship the two of them had. Did you know early on that it was a really vital thing to include showing that relationship on screen and have it not just be something that was referenced? Yes, absolutely. I mean, thank you for saying that. It's like, for me, it's always show, don't tell, especially in a YA movie. I mean, I love voiceover. We didn't choose to do that here, but I feel like in a lot of YA coming of age stories, Um, that does a lot of the work. And I wanted this to be more cinematic and to be able to sort of express everything that Caleb was going through um, by being on that journey with him, you know, like sitting in his shoes and and going for the ride. But I'm so grateful to Amy Landecker who plays his mom because she was like working with her and collaborating with her on, on this sequence, which is arguably one of the most important sequences in the entire film. Um, it's the low point of the movie. It's where you see Caleb's uh, the the origin of his shame, um, which is what he's trying to sort of overcome on his journey. Um, it is about him trying to confront that shame that his mom instilled in him. And, you know, we had to go through three or four edits of that sequence in post because we got a couple different versions. One that was a little bit more um, uh, intense, one that was a little bit more comedic and one that felt the most honest. And we went with the one that was the most honest. Um, And yeah, and that was the one that had her on the other side of the door. There's a version where we don't see her, where Caleb leaves and sort of that's it. And you don't return to her. And I'm so happy we included it because it just makes her character more three-dimensional. And it, to me, again, it just feels more authentic. And with the fact that he is living with his grandparents and that's where he does get the validation that he hasn't gotten from his, his relationship with his mother. um, How did you land upon the choice to have Benny be kind of the first one of the two of them that we see really being like, you think that people don't love you and that they don't care about you and they're not here for you, but here's all the things that I do because I feel exactly that way about you. Oh my God. I love, I love that question. Um, I, Benny is someone, when I first wrote, the script's gone through so many different iterations, but the original opening scene is was Caleb riding on the boardwalk and Benny in a senior's jogging group and then passing each other and having just like the funniest interaction that was to the spirit of who they are, but you don't realize that like that's actually his grandpa until like a little bit later. So he was literally, when I first started writing the story, it was Caleb and Benny. Those were the first two characters. It's, it's, a, it's a figure that that I feel is so important in Caleb's journey because it is the person, you know, it is both a story about chosen family, right? Where like, you know, as RuPaul says, we as queer people get to pick our family and it's about the people who love us and who we love in return, um, even though we might not be biologically related. Um, And Benny, Benny is that character. And I am so grateful that Louis Gossett Jr. said yes to this film. He is such a goddamn movie star. And that sequence where he gives that monologue, where he basically, like you, like you said, like tells Caleb, like, I love you. Here's how much you mean to me. You dumb shit, basically. Um, you, You could hear a pin drop on set. It was watching someone who is at the best at what they do just bring the house down. And that scene is at the mid, it's the midpoint of the film. It is the the emotional center, it's gravity. Um, 
And uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Yeah, no, I love that. And and I think one of the aspects that also speaks to the isolation that Caleb feels in his life is, you know, we get to see him going through the potential beginnings of a new ro- romance with Esther. We get to see his friendship with Dara, but we don't see friendships and relationships that he has beyond that outside of his grandparents. You know, we don't see people that he's been at school with. We don't see him with other groups of people. When we see him in those moments in between, it's him going down to the beach and kind of sitting by himself and being with himself. Um, did you always want to have moments that that really reflected that? And, and was it a conscious choice very early on to be like, we're not going to show other friendships because these don't necessarily exist for this character. It's, it's all about kind of like the close knit people close to him. I mean, absolutely. One of my favorite things about um, where the, the time period in which I decided to set this story um, is the summer between like high school and college. It's like the ultimate limbo. You know what I mean? So you're not in classrooms every day with 500 students. You're not, you know, like going off on the journey where you move out of state and, you know, start a new life at a university. It's sort of like the in-between um, and that lent it lent a, a, both something that felt very unique, but an intimacy into the world, right? Like we're just following Caleb on his day. And like, as like a queer dipshit high school kid, like I was, you know, I didn't have a ton of close relationships. You know, I had the people who stuck by me, who felt um, like they were there for me. But beyond that, it wasn't like a, a huge web of, you know, social acquaintances. So it's, it was also partially wanting to reflect that story, um, which again, is not something you always see with coming of age stories. I feel like you're usually in a, you know, a, a high school sort of uh, setting experience, which I love. Um, but I thought this was an opportunity to do something slightly different. And if you look at the friendship between Caleb and Dara, there, you know, there's moments of friction between the two of them. They do kind of start going down the, the journey of a falling out at one point. And it all feels very real because the stakes to them are very real. And so even if there's something happening for Caleb or any of the other characters, which isn't a heightened scenario, you kind of find the very realistic stakes of, well, what does it mean to that character? You know, when you're that age, every emotion is, is kind of tenfold and you're in this Mm -hmm. bubble and you haven't gone out into the world. And so you don't necessarily have the wider perspective of things. And so you feel things much more deeply at that point. And so how did you make sure that you were always servicing? Well, what are the emotional stakes for this character in this moment? Um, it, it just, I, I just went with the emotional stakes that felt real to me when I was a kid, you know, this is a movie. I sort of tried to make the movie that I wished I could have had when I was growing up, you know, for like, I mean, I hope it's for everyone. You know what I mean? Like straight people flock to this film, you know, people, but for me, like gay kids and gay teens, like I, I wanted to make something that made them feel a little less alone and a little bit more understood. And, you know, for me as a kid, those queer friendships were everything. They were my entire world. It's like, you know, so often you move through your, your town as a, you know, when you're younger and you're like, am I the only one of me? And to find a counterpart where, you know, Caleb found his gay best friend, Dara, it's like the, the bond of that is like so insanely strong. I think it's one of the most powerful moments for a friendship like that where everything does feel heightened everything does feel real you guys are getting your emotional needs met from each other because you're not getting them from other people yet um and that friendship to me is so interesting and exciting and my best friend's a lesbian and I just sort of wrote us to be honest is is kind of the short answer to that question but um I it was it was really nice to show that kind of a friendship 
Yeah. And with the developing romanticism that you have between Caleb and Esther, you know, I appreciated that kind of, again, it just that authentic element of it wasn't, oh, everything's super easy and comfortable and and connected now that they found one another. It was like, yeah, they both really like each other, but neither of them really know what to do or what, what the next move should be. And even there's a, there's a scene that involves popcorn because that's an emotional connection between the two of them. And it's, you know, they kind of fumble through that moment together. And so there's a real sweetness to it. And it also brings them emotionally closer together. Um, and so was that kind of a very similar thought pattern of like thinking back to that age for yourself and just what are those moments where you kind of are just fumbling through rather than finding the right grace, graceful steps when we're all that age? Oh, totally. I mean, absolutely. It's just, again, honesty was at the forefront when telling the story and like, I was not smooth, um, as a youngster. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and it feels like that's so relatable. And I think it just makes you get who these kids are. I think it makes you love them uh, for the fact that they're not perfect. You know, they're, they're awkward and they make mistakes. And that popcorn scene in particular, we worked so hard on the tone of that scene to make sure that everything felt correct because I wanted it to be so sweet and romantic, but I also wanted it to be funny and awkward and sexy. And um, it was a lot of, a lot of boxes to check, Um, but it's one of my favorites. It's another one of my favorites too, because again, I would have loved to see that it's sort of um, young queer intimacy on screen when I was like a kid. And with all of the characters, there there's moments where there's cultural references that, but they're used in a very clever way in which it tells us a lot about the characters. You know, you've got two characters who are sharing their love of cinema and, you know, what did it mean to be watching Holly Golightly on the screen and Audrey Hepburn movies growing up? And how is that shaped who you are? Um, you know, what does it mean when Esther references like, well, I feel like Taylor Swift stole my diary and wrote all about my life. You know, that tells us a huge amount about his emotional facet as a character. And so how did you find the cultural references that not only told us a lot about a character, but also that felt really timeless and won't be something that feels outdated six months from now, two years from now, that will kind of always hit that same referential point for audiences. Yeah, um, again, it's just sort of me being me. I mean, that line, I am Taylor Swift's number one fan, like in in a very deep and real way. And I've often said out loud, you know, like it does feel like she steals my journal and writes about my life. And um, Caleb, when I wrote Caleb, I wrote the character I wished I could have been in high school, a little bit cooler than me, something that Troy really embodied um, so beautifully. Whereas Esta is the kid that I was in high school. So those references of um, Taylor or Breakfast at Tiffany's Um, or Star is Born, you know, those just sort of felt real to me as like movies I liked to find as a queer kid that sort of opened my world to the art of filmmaking. And um, yeah, I think that's where those came from. But I love sort of pop culture references and stuff. Um, It feels, especially like in 2011, finding the right ones that fit that world too was was fun because 2011 was like a really formative time in my life too. So going back into that was exciting. Yeah. And one of the scenes I really loved that allowed us to kind of like break away from the narrative a little bit, but still be within it is the moment where you have um, Dara and Caleb 
uh, the mini mart and it kind of feels like a music video for a couple of minutes prior mm-hmm. to them having consumed too many slushies and, mm-hmm. and ending very ungraciously for, for one of them. Um, you know, what? where did the concoction of, of that scene and wanting to have kind of like almost an, an outside of, of like the regular walls and narrative structure of the film moment come from? So that's a really, the genesis of that scene is really um fun because, you know, when I was meeting with my producers, the amazing Dan DeBecky and Laura Alamedine, who have made like my favorite movies, some that even inspired this, Juno, Up in the Air, Jennifer's Body. When they read the script, they were like, um, and this is something I've heard before about Caleb and Dara and in different iterations, I had versions of this, but like, you know, they're going through an emotional journey, but like, we want to see a moment where they are kids having fun, where you understand their bond and the, the joyful experience that they have together. And so, I wanted to write this, this fun sort of dancey, youthful, young montage. And I wanted to be able to break form so slightly, not a complete tonal jump, but just enough where if I showed at the beginning of the sequence that they were taking shots and smoking weed, that as their brains opened up sort of during that sequence, our structure could open up a little bit. Um, and it's so fun. It's so joyful. And like, it gets to the heart of why tone was so important when, when, making this movie because it is about serious subject matter and the themes can get heavy, but it's a blast to watch. And that was such a conscious choice. I wanted it to be fun and funny and joyous and hopeful while also being, you know, a little um, emotional and, and tender. And um, it was, it was an interesting time balancing all those things. Yeah, I mean, when you just kind of brought up the hopefulness tonally, that's exactly what comes away throughout the entire film, even when it's kind of allowing Caleb to to sit and breathe in the experiences that he's going through. And that was what was really enjoyable about watching this film. So really appreciate you diving into all this detail and sharing so much. Thank you so much, Jared. Oh my God, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.